Hi there, church family. It's good to be with you this week for our sermon recap. Uh, if you weren't with us, we were in Isaiah. We've been in Isaiah for our our Christmas season and looking at different prophecies in the book of Isaiah that have to do with the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, this week, though, is a, a little different. We were in Isaiah, Isaiah 52 and 53. We really looked at both uh, chapters completely. I read I read both of them uh, throughout the message. Uh, but in Isaiah 52 and 53, it is talking about the Messiah. It's talking about the Savior. And it's talking about uh, his work of redemption and what that is going to look like, specifically through his suffering, through his death, and through his resurrection. And so it is fitting to preach a sermon like this through the Christmas season, because as we celebrate the birth of Christ, we cannot push aside the works of Christ and what he did. Um, it is a very pretty scene looking at the manger, looking at the baby, mom and dad. Sometimes you'll see scenes with animals around and shepherds around or whatever. It is a, a pretty thing to see. And we like to think of it as an innocent scene. <clears throat> but there's a reason that baby came. And what we have in Isaiah 52 and 53 is the reason. It's the exact reason of why Christ had come. And so, to be honest, uh, Spencer and I were talking a little bit ago. This is a very easy sermon to, to preach because this passage preaches itself. There's not much that you have to add because it's pretty plain, cut and dry and clear. Uh, one of the points I've been making throughout Isaiah, and I want to make again with this, is this is written a long time before Christ. A long time before Christ. But I would dare say if you took anybody who knew anything about Jesus and you read them Isaiah 53, they would say that's talking about Jesus. Without much study or have to know, they would say, oh, yeah, that's about Jesus. I know I know about him. He got crucified and all that. And then you'd tell them, yeah, this was written 700 years before him. That name hadn't even been thought about yet, about anything. But see how perfectly, yes, he fulfills, uh, fulfills this prophecy. This was the first time, though, I think that I've had the opportunity to preach this passage. I do believe I read it at a funeral once. Because it was somebody, they, they really enjoyed that passage, and I knew that, and so I had read it at their funeral and talked about it. But I don't think I had the opportunity to preach on it. Dave, you preached on it not too long ago, <laughs> maybe in November or October, I don't know, somewhere around there in the yep, evening. In the evening, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was that? <clears throat> you We were given tasks, though, in the evening. Mm -hmm. What was that? What was your given task? you remember? Uh, was I it the suffering? The or? suffering, yeah. the Because I think, because David, David Stanley had gone before me, and he talked about Christ's humiliation, and he kind of referenced it, and then I kind of went more in into it um, yep. through his suffering. Yeah, right, right. Yep. Have you ever had the chance to preach it, Spencer? Do you, you remember? <sighs> Not right away that I remember, but who knows? Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> Scott, you ever had a chance to? Most recently, uh, I would have referenced it in a sermon when I was going through Acts chapter eight. Okay, because this is the passage that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading mm -hmm. right oh, on the road. Mm -hmm. And so we, we brought it up then, talked about it then. Yeah. Yeah, and so to be honest, I, I didn't have to do a ton of, of study and prep work for it. I mean, there was that, again, looking at trying to look at the background of the passage and <clears throat> where we are in, in Judah and Israel's line and all of this. And just as a reminder, it's not a good time for the people of God. They've uh, abandoned abandoned God. They've been put into captivity they haven't had good kings at the you know good king at this point uh, but yet we still see these promises being made and that's why I, I wanted to read first from Isaiah 52 because in Isaiah 52 uh, the first part of it 
we have such gracious words from God to his people. And it's something that I wouldn't expect. Go ahead and ruin it, Spencer. Open your cough drop. (laughs) You're trying to be quiet, but I mean, you sound like my wife trying to be quiet (laughs) when she gets up in the morning. (laughs) It's like, just turn the light on. (laughs) That's funny. Anyway. All right. I'm good now. I forgot what I was saying. Oh, 52. Isaiah 52. You have such gracious words uh, for God to the people. You're really going to play it now. That's good good timing there. But what I find fascinating about Isaiah 52 is we don't see God uh, putting any blame, it seems like, on the people. I mean, you just don't get that from that chapter. It's, you've been put into slavery. You were not sold. No money was done. But don't worry. I'm, you know, I'm going to get you out. I'm going to have my name be remembered. I'm going to restore you. There's all of this grace in that chapter that is completely an undeserved merited gift, merit, you know, unmerited gift, which is the definition of grace, right? That you see there. And after going through Isaiah and knowing, you know, what the kings have been doing and what the people have been doing. This really is unexpected. It shouldn't. I mean, there's been prophecies all through this where, you know, God has been making these promises. But it makes you have to wonder, is like, what did these people do to earn the love of God? Like, what what did they do? Why, why would he do this for them? Because for us in our lives, you know, it's always give and take. You just don't see relationships that are completely one-sided. It doesn't exist because those are people you would get rid of. We would t- Today, we would call that you are being abused. Uh, maybe physically, maybe not, but you are emotionally, you are mentally, and this is a relationship you have the right to not be a part of because it's one-sided, right? Um, and that's what we see, but yet God continually is giving grace to these people, and it has to bring up some questions, don't you guys think? I mean, as as a reader reading this, yeah. I mean, I think the um, one of the things that that comes to my mind too, as you're as you're talking about Isaiah fifty two, is there's there's already um, hints and ideas of Exodus language, right? Yeah. So they're they're bonds around their necks, mm-hmm. right? Or he says, "My people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing." And then he says, I'm going to redeem you. You were sold. So there's slavery language. Mm-hmm. So God is, and this is important, in the whole Old Testament, the Exodus story is always in the background and the foundation for what people, what God's people think about salvation. And if you look in Ezekiel, God in Ezekiel chapter 20 tells them that even in Egypt, Whenever he came to redeem them, he says, you still were clinging to your idols in Egypt. And he says, but for the sake of my name, I did not pour my wrath upon you, even in Egypt. So it's not as if the people of God in Egypt were just so virtuous and God came and redeemed them and that because they weren't worshiping the idols. God says, no, even in Egypt, you didn't even, you were coming kicking and screaming to me. And yet I still loved you and freed you. And similarly here, this one-sided love of God, this dedication to the good of his people, in a sense, whether they like it or not, Mm -hmm. uh, because God is more interested in their salvation than they are. He wants them to be saved more than they want to be saved because they don't think they need to be saved. But he's come to free them. Now, the irony of all of this is that the good news where he says here, the gospel message, the proclamation of victory is going to come in a weird way, though. 
mm-hmm. and it's going to come, as you point out, Tim, in the in Isaiah fifty three, it's going to come through a servant who suffers, and who in a, in a surprise, the salvation, this redemption, this new exodus that Jesus has come to accomplish is going to happen through a servant that that uh, is is not going to look the way they think that he should. And it's interesting. Stephen points out in his message in Acts chapter seven that. They rejected Moses at first mm-hmm. because he didn't look like the deliverer they thought they should have either. Right, yeah. They didn't believe the message of Moses. Well, how much more someone who's greater than Moses, who's come to bring them out of an even greater slavery and bondage. Um, and so this suffering servant is going to actually be taking upon himself all of their sins and their griefs and their sorrows to break these bonds right. again um, and show forth his, his salvation. So I, I think all throughout that you see God's grace poured out upon them undeservedly one way. Yeah, verse 12 really brings out the exodus, I thought, and I mentioned that in the message. But it says, for you shall not go out in haste, which is actually different than the exodus, because in the exodus it was, be ready, have your shoes on, have everything, because you're going to go quick. And it says, you shall not go in flight, for the Lord will go before you, but also the God of Israel be your rear guard as well. And it makes you think of that exodus where the pillar would lead them, Right, but then right. also as they would cross the Red Sea, God goes behind them and... Well, and, and we just talked about this in Sunday school. It explicitly says in Exodus chapter 14 that it was the angel of the Lord who had been in front of the people of God, mm-hmm. and whenever Pharaoh's army comes and attacks him, he swings around and goes behind them. Mm-hmm. And of course, we know who that angel is. Yeah. It's, the, it's, it's this servant mm-hmm. of Isaiah 53. That angel who redeemed you back then is that messenger is now come as the servant of God to to get behind and before you in an even greater way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so what we have there at the end of 52 kind of is a summary of what's to come in 53. And so I didn't stay on it too long, but we see there at the end of chapter 52, uh, we see the wisdom of the Savior that he's going to be high and lifted up. And this isn't referencing... Uh, at least from what I had found, and I, I don't feel it, this isn't necessarily referencing the cross. Mm. Uh, it's talking about he will actually be exalted. Mm. Uh, and so it's thinking more of he will be exalted, right? In the and So you're pointing to that. Like that is going to happen. Uh, but then it, it kind of changes course a little bit here, uh, talking about his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. So we start to see his suffering. We start to see his hurting. But through this, he shall sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths, right? Their eyes, they're going to see the truth of who this is, that he is actually the king. And so we <clears throat> we have this, um, again, summary of what we're, what's about to unfold in chapter 53. Uh, and so th- what we did is we just took our time uh, in the message to walk through chapter 53 uh, together. And what we see there in verse 1 is we see uh, God's divine work of opening up a heart. And opening up people's eyes. And I did pause to mention this again because I think it's so important to point out how often Scripture shows us this truth. That this is a work that only God can do. That we cannot open people's eyes or their hearts to the gospel. We can we can share it with them and we are told to do that. Uh, we can spread the love of Christ in all these different ways, right? But the most important way of sharing the gospel. Uh, but... It takes God to open up the eyes. I was thinking about that recently because um, sometimes I'm with some people who aren't Christians. And one of the things I notice about those people is they're actually pretty kind to each other. They take care of each other. 
And <clears throat> when I look at it kind of from the outside, I think when you look at these people, they're not really that different than church people. They actually do. They will make food for each other. They pick each other's kids up at school, all right, and give them rides, and uh, they'll hang out together, and they fellowship together, and all these different stuff. Now, their fellowships might look a little different than a Christian's fellowships, but there seems to be real concern and care and camaraderie uh, with these people. And you wonder, if I just come in then, and now I'm kind and I'm nice, Mm -hmm. nothing really different. They're just going to think I'm a nice person or whatever. And so what, what is it going to take for them to see, well, the reason that I'm trying to be kind and nice is because of God's kindness and his love for me. Mm-hmm. Well, according to scripture and what we see there in the first verse of 53, it's that the Lord has to reveal this to them, mm-hmm. right? The Lord has to reveal this to them. And this is why we pray and ask God to continue to work. He's promised that he will, but we continue to seek after him saying, God, open the eyes of my children to see your truth. Open the eyes of my friends to see your truth. Give me opportunities to share. Help me, yes, to know what I'm saying. Help Give me opportunities to be kind and to show the love of Christ to them, all this stuff. <clears throat> but in the end, God, we know that it's you that needs to open up the eyes of the blind. <clears throat> and something I should have said yesterday, I was thinking about this this morning. And now I guess is a good time. A question might be asked of people is, how do I know if God is the one who's opened my eyes? I think that'd be a fair question. How do I know that it wasn't me doing it, blah, blah, My answer would be this. Do you believe what the Bible says about Christ? Do you believe he's come and that he alone can forgive you of your sins through his death, his burial, and his resurrection? If you answer yes to that question, then I would say, God has opened your eyes. That's that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's not some magical thing where, like, you actually see scales fall off your eyes and they fall on the ground. And you're like, it finally happened. You know, God's fine. No, it's do you believe? Um, and if you do, then that means God God's opened your eyes, and you should praise Him for that because it's not something you could do on your own. It's not something somebody could do for you. God has done that, and let's praise Him for that. Um, and I think that's an important thing because I have come across people before who are struggling a little bit with doubt with some certain things. And they say, maybe God hasn't really revealed stuff to me yet because I'm not like a hundred percent in everything right now. And, and so I think that's a valid question to think about and to respond to. And I think it's something we, we need to be faithful, uh, to talk about when we can. So anyways, that, so that was, that was verse one, uh, cause Isaiah asked the question, who has believed? What we've heard, and he says, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Because these are the ones who have believed, who God has revealed himself uh, to them. And uh, as you go on to verses 2 and 3, uh, we start to see, as well, Spencer, you talked about just a second ago, uh, all this redemption, all this promise, it's like, okay, who? how is this happening? And we start to see it unfold. This is how it's going to happen. He, for he grew up uh, before him like a young plant like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So basically, one of the things you're getting here is he's not very savior-like. It's not what you're picturing in your head. 
And I, I want it to be brought to the forefront of how important this really is in this day and age. You know, you need to look the part in order to fit the position. We do this in everything, right? We do this with job interviews. We do this uh, with who we want to marry. We do this with athletics. We do this with all kinds of stuff. I mentioned that show, The Voice, you know, and how often they they turn around and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's coming from you. And the fact is, if that person would have walked up to John Legend on the street and said, I'm a good singer, he would have walked away from him. No, I mean, there's no way. You know what I mean? And I don't know anything about John Legend. He might be the greatest guy in the world for all I know, but it's just because that's what we do. Um, and so when we look at, I don't know, for presidents and stuff, we do look at them. It's like, this guy looks like a buffoon and he, he can't be our president. Yeah. You know, that's what uh, Tommy Lee Jones thought of Steve Rogers before he became Captain yeah, he America. Yeah, was too skinny, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a skinny little, uh, no, this guy can't save anybody. But he, but he had the heart. He had the heart. He was the guy. <laughs> he, <had> the heart. <laughs> he did. <laughs> um, I just think sometimes we sit back and we judge people of the Bible. And we're like, these people were so stupid. Look at, did they not read Isaiah 53? Did they not know? And now all of a sudden they're saying, this guy, this Jesus, he can't be the one. Look, he's just a carpenter's son. It's like, you're fulfilling prophecy and doing what you're doing. And we act like we wouldn't be the same way. And I just want us to really notice how human nature has not changed at all. And we still do the same stuff. And we would feel the same way. You mean to tell me that's the dude I'm supposed to follow? I can't even tell that's a man. He's been so beaten and so destroyed. This is our king, right? Remember above the cross, they put king of the Jews, and people were upset about that. Don't put that. And, and, they, and they were like, nope, it's already been done. We've already wrote it, right? And no, this is not our king. You know, we want like David. We want the winner. We want the powerful. That's what we've been promised. Uh, and so... Uh, we just we still struggle with this, and this is the this is the promise Isaiah is giving that God has given to Isaiah to share uh, with the people is the one who's going to redeem you. He's not going to be not going to be the good looking one, right? He's not going to be the Saul hmm. because Saul was head and shoulders above everybody, if you remember. Hmm. Yeah, he looked kingly. Yeah. Uh, but even David, <clears throat> when Samuel goes to anoint him, even David's own father was like. Yeah, I got another son out there, but he's not the one. I mean, that's what it sounds like from the passage. Uh, he's not the one, but Samuel's like, well, let me see him. And the Bible says he was like ruddy. Did it say he was handsome? Ruddy and handsome. Yeah. yeah. And ruddy means red. Mm -hmm. And so he he was red. I don't know if that was skin. We don't know if that was hair. We have no idea. Definitely hair. Dave, Dave appreciates yeah, that. Yeah, like, listen to how quick he got on that. Handsome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, guys. He's a musician. And my name is David. You know what? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Put it all together. No, I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you had read at your wedding? Oh boy, uh, David no. was ruddy and handsome, and yeah, and Angie, <laughs> yeah. that would have been awesome. And Angie like, no. said, "This is him," <laughs> <laughs> and everybody else uh, is like, "The one I've been waiting for, <laughs> the beloved, the beloved." The beloved. Yeah. yeah, that's what your name Angie's means. dad saying. Is there not another one? Can he be all these other people? Can he be Italian? Can he be Italian? Italian stallion. Come on. Uh, <laughs> all right. Anyway, no. Is your middle name David? Your middle name yeah. is David. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think this is a. This reminds me of uh, Paul's uh, words 
in First Corinthians mm-hmm. where he says God has made foolish the wisdom of this world because the way that we would decide uh, things should work out, God often flips these things. Uh, uh, Luther uh, talked a lot about this idea that God takes what is weak and actually shows it strong, but what we think is strong is actually weakness. Mm-hmm. And um, similarly, this is one of the ironic things about this whole passage is whenever we, so in a sense, Isaiah is turning our our eyes of faith here to see this person, this servant, and we see him despised, rejected, and and you can also hear the, the phrases of the religious leaders. If you are the Christ, the Son of God, come down from... So if you were the Christ, you should get down from the cross. Mm-hmm. The logic is, is if you are the Christ, then you should be able to get down from the cross. But the re- reality is, is it's because he is the king that he's on the cross mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, the reason he looks this way is not because his person as the son of God incarnate now is naturally like this. He looks this way because he's actually taking all of our griefs. So whenever we look at Jesus, the reason why we're in a sense revolted by looking at him is because we're seeing ourselves in a sense. Mm -hmm. We're seeing our own sin, our own grief, our own shame, Mm -hmm. everything that we look at him. That's good. We're actually seeing ourselves because he's taking our place. Mm -hmm. That's good. He is being made our sin for us. And so what we're actually, in a sense, and this is what actually is ironic, is while on the one sense, is you see this also in John, they think they're judging Jesus. But Jesus is actually the one there. The one who looks powerless is actually the one standing there judging all of them. Mm. And their, their, their words are judging themselves mm. also. And so you see all of these ironies, and you even see it here, is the reason that he looks despised and rejected is because he's taking our place. And I think that's a very important uh, point to to be reminded because then Isaiah moves uh, in verse four to begin making it to show that that substitutionary aspect of what's actually going on here. Mm. This isn't simply a victim. Mm. This isn't simply a martyr. This isn't simply the story of a guy who tried to do a few good things. It's kind of like, honestly, he gets us. We've talked about this, that whole uh, new movement with uh, that's trying to get people to be evangelized. They would stop at about verse at about verse uh, three. Mm-hmm. Look at Jesus. He's despised. He's lowly. He's down and out. He gets us. But actually, the gospel is he's doing all of that for us mm-hmm. because that's what you deserve. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the problems with modern gospel presentations sometimes is they only go through one through three but they don't get to the for us part and in our place part. And that's what you deserve part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's why he's hanging on the cross is because of our own sin mm. and our shame. And he's taking it all away to be received by faith. Yeah. I thought you did a really uh, great job with that. Um, making it like the, for us, we, the, the, those personal pronouns, because it really is clear. Yes. This King is not the, the stereotypical, you know, and I mean, obviously in, in Jesus's day that the Jewish people thought that the Messiah would be a political leader, you know, which is why they all scattered when he was arrested and crucified. Um, but the fact that it was for us, you make a really good point. You know, it's like he was, we can relate. Hebrews says that we, he was an always tempted yet without sin. We can relate, but it was bec- it's because of what he his substitutionary atonement. That's why that's the significance and that's the gospel. So that's a really good point.
Yeah, uh, that that comes out a lot in verses seven through nine of what you were talking about, Spencer. Of um, he's not just a martyr. He's not. No, he he willingly does this. Christ mm-hmm. Christ knows exactly what's happening. He he knows the end goal and the end game and what's about to come. And we even see this as he talks to the disciples. He he knew this of what was what was going to happen that he was going to go and die and his disciples even try to like argue with him about it like no 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 that, we're not going to let that happen it's like oh yeah it's going to happen right and he, nothing's going to stop it uh, from happening uh, and Jesus does this very willingly right and we kind of skipped over verses 4 through 6 that talks a little bit more about him being uh, crushed uh, by God how he he bears our grief and that and that's right it's important to see that that he's not you know, when you when you read this and you, you read through, the way I asked the question was, maybe the Savior deserves it, right? When you read this, maybe the Savior did something um, to deserve this, but you can't come away from reading this and, and say that because of what you just said. It's hmm. our griefs. Our, it's all about us. It's, he's doing all of this. It's, it's actually us who deserve this, but yet he's taking this blame. He, he's taking this over and over again. And this is the great gift of the, of the savior is him doing this for us. And then what makes it even more astonishing is what we were just talking about is his willingness to do it. Because again, I've been handed things to do before that I do begrudgingly. I don't want to do it. And the people are happy that I did it, but I did it out of duty, out of whatever it might be to make myself look good, uh, whatever. But to know that Christ does this willingly, obediently, right, which which sends us to Philippians 2, 5 through 8, where we see the humility of Christ, to be obedient to the Father, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right. No, I love that passage. I was actually just thinking about it, and you brought that up, because by nature, as the Son of God, he, he is not a root out of dry ground. He is the Son, the eternal Son of the Father. Mm-hmm. He is not despised and rejected. As the, as the eternal Son of God, he is the radiant glory of God. But as the mediator, whenever he becomes a servant, he takes to himself our despising. He takes to himself our rejection. He voluntarily takes to himself our sorrows. So the reason why Jesus understands what it's like to be a human is because of his voluntary willingly taking to himself the form of a servant for our sakes. And that should never be lost. Um, Like you said, and, and Philippians 2 brings that out the servanthood being made in the likeness of man and and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Um, that consistent voluntary taking to himself of all of our of all of our sins and all of our sorrows. Um, so when Jesus said, I have a baptism to be baptized into, this is the baptism of Jesus ultimately. All of his his immersion into all of our sufferings, into the full human experience for us so that he can pull us back out of the water, so to speak, and raise us back up to new life uh, from judgment to be back with the Father. Um, and so I think that that is what you see here, is the full, the full depth of his love and his condescension and his coming down to the very depths for us so he can raise us back up. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's so... Uh interesting i think in this passage and astonishing is when you get to verse 10 because again we're talking to god's people god's talking about redeeming his people 
and God is talking about a Savior, a Messiah, who will be the one to come and to lead this charge. And if it hasn't been crazy enough that he's going to be despised by men, he's going to be rejected, he's not going to be anything to look at, he's going to be cru- all this stuff. You get to verse 10, and it says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Again, that just seems so backwards. Why would God crush the Savior? Why would God crush the our one, our, our king? This doesn't make This doesn't make sense. He's supposed to be the one to come and to redeem us and to be on the throne forever, right? And, and Dave, you had mentioned the political mindset that's in that of the Savior yeah. is, is what would be the question. Is mm-hmm. We're supposed to have our land. We're supposed to be free, right? We're, not, mm-hmm. we're supposed to be conquerors. Yeah. But now we're seeing not only our people crushing this, this Savior, now we see that the Lord himself is going to crush mm. this Savior. You know, it, it's like what... I could, I could see the people of of God being kind of confounded like I don't I don't get what this is getting at. Mm-hmm. I don't get what this is saying cuz this is not logical. It doesn't make much sense mm-hmm. here. Um and so I think it's good for us to live in that a little bit and to try to to try to think through that because again we're reading it as people who when we read this we know the story of Christ. And so for us it's like yeah, this makes sense because we know what it's talking about. We have the New Testament, we have mm-hmm. the apostle Paul writing for us and Peter to help us to figure this stuff out, right? Uh, but you have to remember as Paul and Peter and them are writing all this, they're dealing with people who are still like, what are you talking about? <laughs> this doesn't make this doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. But the fact is as we were saying it was necessary for the Savior to be crushed by God because the Bible tells us that sin has to be dealt with. Hmm. And, the, and, and how it gets dealt with is God destroys. And so for us as sinners, what we deserve is to be destroyed. right? We deserve separation. We, we, that's what we deserve because of our sin. And so then the big question is, how is God going to deal with the sin? Again, we can't think politically we can't think like that our main problem is our sin problem and so how is this going to be dealt with how can we god can't crush me because then i'm crushed that does, I, yeah I, that's it I, that's it right so what is going to happen and take place and that's mm. what we're seeing unfold here mm. is what it's going to take is it's going to take one who is man which we'll talk about sunday uh, on christmas morning more one who is man completely man, but yet at the same time, one who's also completely God because only God can deal with this and must take the crushing of God and the penalty, but also needs to conquer it somehow. Mm-hmm. And that's why it can't just be any little thing. It, it can't be something that I do. It can't, it, it has to be a God thing. And that's what we're seeing unfold here mm-hmm. is this is the answer. I will crush him. Right, that the Lord is going to crush him. Um, and I brought up the fact that in Genesis 3, it talks about in Genesis 3.15 with the curse of the serpent, where he says, uh, by her seed you will be crushed and you will bruise his heel. Uh, I don't know if their minds would have went to that or not, but my mind goes to that to think when I read this, is like this isn't how it's supposed to end because it's supposed to be the other way around, but it looks like it looks like the seed of the serpent is crushing the seed of the of the woman here and that's not how we that's not what god said so god you're going to lose mm. there's there's a loss here mm-hmm. right? i think like those two the two on the the road to emmaus and john 
you know, when Jesus came alongside of them and they, their eyes were kept from recognizing him, he's like, what's, you know, what's wrong? They were downcast. He's like, have you not heard? You know, we, we thought we had hoped that he would have been the one to save. And then Jesus walks him through the scriptures. And, you know, you have to assume that he probably went to Isaiah 53, you know, because they, in their minds, they probably thought, well, we thought, yeah, we, he would, you know, he would be bruised perhaps. Maybe, maybe they weren't thinking about Genesis 3.15, but they see him crucified and all of their hopes are crushed. Yeah. Their I mean, hopes are crushed. <laughs> I mean, that only makes sense. Right. <laughs> I can't think of a funeral I've ever been to mm-hmm. and thought, don't worry, a couple of days he'll be good. Yeah. We'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. no, it's, this is final. Like it, the, the coroner has come in. Mm-hmm. This person is dead. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. The, the language of offspring is interesting. Mm. Because, and I think this is where you see the hints of the resurrection. Because on the one hand, the Lord crushes him and puts him to grief. He's taken away. Mm-hmm. So he's dead. And yet, somehow, in some way, he gets to see his offspring come about. Mm. He gets to see those. He so, And it reminds me of the great story with Abraham and then Isaac. Because Abraham's hope is, from your descendants, there's going to be innumerable mm-hmm. offspring. Mm. And so then, but God tells him, now go take your son and kill him. Well, that's the end of the hope for the offspring. So how can I have offspring if my offspring has to die? Mm-hmm. So it's done. And and so similarly, so we see what happens, right? And Paul, t- or we're told in Hebrews that Abraham did believe that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. Mm-hmm. And so, but now we see here, Jesus is put to death. And yet somehow at the end, through it all, he gets to live at the same time to see his offspring. And I think what you see here is Jesus is told at the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, he's the son of David and the son of Abraham. So all of those promises, he's, the, he's now the greater Isaac, He's the greater one who receives all of those covenant promises made to Abraham are now given to Jesus through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we are his offspring in Christ. He didn't, he didn't marry anybody, right? Contrary to what some people might think. He never had a physical marriage with a woman on earth. He is married to his church and we are, he has spiritual offspring, his church, the seed of the woman. Hmm. And so, uh, and this is where I think you see the hints of the resurrection is mm-hmm. somehow he dies and yet he lives to see a, a posterity. Mm-hmm. He lives to see, he prolongs his mm-hmm. days and the will of the Lord prospers in his hand. Mm-hmm. And so in Christ, we are, he, we, he is our brother, but also because he is the capital S seed of the woman, we are the small S seeds, seeds of the woman as well mm-hmm. because we're in him. Mm-hmm. So because of what he's done, we are his, we're connected to him. And so we are blessed in and through him because he is the son of Abraham, mm, the good. full inheritor. And so I think mm-hmm. you see the hints right here, not fully in focus yet. And that would have been the mystery is how in the world does that happen? Mm-hmm. But the hints of the resurrection are already there. And the offspring of Christ mm-hmm. are the full uh, number of those uh, for all ages who have believed in this promise in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Spencer cheated. I only read the first part of 10. He went on to the second part of 10. <laughs> Sorry. To steal the thunder of the message. Sorry. Good job. I'm going to get another cough drop. <laughs> yeah, do it crinkly. <laughs>
Yeah, we do see that, right? Because in the, at the end of this, we see his exaltation. Exactly what you said. We see these hints. Prolonged days. Uh, verse 11 says, um, uh, make many to be accounted righteousness. To righteous, right? So we see they will receive his righteousness for what he has done. We see all these promises of, of hope. I will divide him a portion with the many, hmm. right? <clears throat> and so, yeah, we see that this crushing seems to not be the end. And so, yeah, we have the, the resurrection, we have this, and uh, the, the ascension, we have all these things uh, that we learn about later in the New Testament that helps make this passage in Isaiah clearer uh, to understand of what's happening there. And so the good news that we have in, in Christ and in the Savior is uh, now because of him, right, his, his perfect life is ours because he bore our sin and our shame, right? His death is our death because he did it for us, right? His penalty of being crushed, that, that crushing by God that we deserve, he took it in our place. And so I, I can say as a believer, I've been crushed by God, but it's through Christ. Hmm. Christ bared that for me, bore that for me. His resurrection is ours. His inheritance is ours. His exaltation is ours. All right, we we have all of this in in Christ, and that is why we get to celebrate this this baby. That's why we celebrate during this Christmas time is because of of what He has done for us. And I I finished kind of with reading Romans six four. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's ours. Mm. We we died with Him that day on the cross. Mm. You know, right? In, but He He took all that pain and all that punishment for us, so I don't have to experience that. And in death, whatever my death might be like, maybe it is a hard death. I, I have no idea. I don't know how I'm going to die. But in the end, when I die, I, my heart does stop. My brain is not working. I'm not breathing anymore. It's not the end for Tim, right? Just like the crushing wasn't the end here. It's not the end for me because Christ has conquered death for me. And so death can't hold me. Death can't hold me down. Uh, and that's something that's important with Jesus. Again, a very important thing is but by the law, death could not hold him because he was perfect, right? That's the big thing. That's why he rose again because According to the law, he wasn't allowed to die. He never did anything wrong, mm -hmm. right? And I have that on me now. So by the law, I cannot die mm. because I bear the perfection of Christ in my life. Mm. I should die. I should deserve it 100%, but I don't because of him. And that's the great gift mm -hmm. that we've been given from God. Yeah, we're saved by works. Yeah, his, but not by our own yeah. works. And and one of the things I think is really cool is this passage then ties into what you preached with Isaiah nine, mm -hmm. because the promise is after the darkness, what happens? You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice mm -hmm. before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Mm -hmm. So he divides the spoil with the strong. And here Isaiah in Isaiah nine uses military language of a victory that's been won and we're there dividing divvying up all of the blessings divvying up all of the the conquering blessings that we get in christ jesus and so we what was promised in unto us a child is born in isaiah 9 we see even clearer now in isaiah 53 the result of he's 
he's doing all of this for us. And also, in a sense, as we see as well, he's fighting a battle for us. Mm, that's good. <clears throat> and so he's doing that. Mm. He's breaking the yoke. He's shattering the yoke of the burden, the staff of the oppressor. And this is, as on the day of Midian, this is a very unexpected victory we did not look for. And so whenever we do look at that cross, and we do see it says, this is the king of the Jews, written, by the way, in three languages, Mm -hmm. which is very interesting that John, I think, is the one that points that out. Mm -hmm. So that all the world will know that through this one, and that's, again... It's interesting because you, you point about exaltation on the cross. It's interesting. John says, John uses Jesus, and this is the irony again, whenever I am lifted up. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So yeah. Actually, actually, whenever he's at his moment of most extreme shame, he's actually exalted. I mean, for Christians, right, we cherish the resurrection greatly and his ascension, but there is something special about the when I am raised up on the cross mm. still. And even in Revelation, we praise him as the lamb who was slain for us. Um, we never get over that. Mm. We, we, we know the resurrection is necessary, and we're very grateful for it. But the resurrection doesn't matter if the cross doesn't happen. And so similarly here, um, we the good news is a good news of victory accomplished for us. And all we can do is gratefully receive it and repent and come back to God and try to uh, live out of gratitude Mm -hmm. for grace received. One of the things I was struck in doing this study in Luke for this little mini-series that I've done uh, the last couple weeks on the evening service is Mary, when, when, when Elizabeth blesses her in Luke chapter 1, verse 45, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And scholars believe because of Mary's then breaking out into this song, this hymn, that she really, it clicked, and she was able to put the pieces together in her mind of, okay, this is the one. This is Isaiah 7. You know, she quotes Isaiah, paraphrase, is 61, I believe, but not 53. But it seemed like, scholars say, that it seems like it really connected with her, it clicked with her. And I'm like, it's remarkable, because she was just this ordinary young teenager. And yet... She believed this where most of the world, because of all the silence, you know, kind of had given up hope. And that, I think, is an encouragement that, that the Lord has entrusted to his people these wonderful truths and this fulfillment has come through, through Christ. So, really cool. Yeah, I would assume that most of you who listen to this recap would say amen to everything that we said. And it seems so clear and it seems so obvious. And I think what I would... Uh, hope that it encourages you, and then is to make sure that you are praying for those who are lost around you. Mm, the yeah. truth that we talked about at the beginning, that God would open their eyes to this truth. Because for those of us who've been saved by this, we see it as wisdom, we see it as wise, we see it as very clear. Now there's nuances within salvation, all this stuff that we get to talk about and get nitpicky about. Uh, but what we've talked about today, uh, for most believers, I would say is just very clear and just seems like, well, yeah, duh. Yeah, this makes sense. And that's true. And we, we have the privilege of taking this simple message uh, to a lost and dying world. And it is their hope. It's the only hope that they have. Uh, and, and God has entrusted it with his church to share it. And so let's pray together, you know, that God would uh, do this, like I said, in the lives of our children, in the lives of our family members, in the lives of our friends, uh, to help them to see with great clarity 
the extent to which God has went to show his love for them uh, through his son, Jesus. And let's pray that God would open their eyes so that they will believe and in faith have trust in his great grace and that he would save them and redeem them. So they would understand this language personally, a redemption, uh, being redeemed back from that slavery uh, of sin. And so I hope and trust that you'll be doing that. Um, I hope that you're having a a good uh, Christmas season so far. I hope that you have some plans and some meetings with uh, family and some friends. Uh, I hope that you're not ill. I know we got a lot of people in our church who are sick with different things that are going around, and we're praying for all of you who are sick. We're hoping that you get that you get better. We miss seeing you when you're not here uh, with the church family, uh, but we do hope that you have a uh, a real blessed Christmas season. We hope to see you on Saturday. You should be listening to this on like Wednesday or sometime after Wednesday. On Saturday is Christmas Eve. We do have a service at five o'clock uh, for Christmas Eve, and then we do have service on Christmas morning here, Sunday at ten thirty. And so we we really hope to see you at those at those services. But until then, uh, we hope that you have a, a great and blessed week. God bless.